Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I wanted to start out tonight by saying thank you so much for the outpouring of support for the podcast. I started this as a little passion project, and it has grown so much over the last week. If you could please rate and review us on iTunes, it would help the show exponentially, and it would really mean a lot. Speaking of growth, I'm still in need of some new material to read. If you got a story and you've been dying to scare a larger audience, send it over to me at scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Tonight, we have two tales for your enjoyment. One by yours truly and another from an era past. Our first letter tonight is a letter I hope none of you have ever received. Most orphanages are dark, cruel places. The children are burdens of the state, unwanted and unloved. This is not how I run my establishment. Here at Proctor's Children's Home, we provide nothing but the best for our little angels. We tend to cater more to the upper class. Our services tend to come with a significantly higher price than most other institutions, but we provide a much better life for the children while they're in our care. The caliber of families I deal with tend to be finicky and a bit overly cautious. However, no matter how many visits it takes or how many questions I have to answer, I always find them the right fit. My most recent clients, Mr. and Mrs. Stephen Midori, are a great example of particularly difficult cases. They first contacted me almost two years ago. It can take a while to find the perfect child. Some couples get cold feet after realizing this is quite an undertaking and not something they're comfortable with committing to. I was worried the Midori's would be such a case. For months, they were constantly calling or emailing with questions. What did the children eat? Have they been vaccinated? If not, what diseases could they have? I would laugh and assure them that we keep our children in tip-top shape. If one is ever ill, we use only homeopathic remedies, and they are all on a strict organic vegan diet. They seemed hesitant about the cost, but I explained. The high cost was due to the excellent care we provided. We have the happiest and healthiest children you can find. Of course, you could go elsewhere, out of the country perhaps. But could you really be sure you weren't being handed a bundle of disease and abuse? After a few months, the calls and emails stopped. I thought about reaching out. I really liked them. Their incessant questions had grown to be sort of endearing. They even asked once if the crayons the children colored with were toxic. Such lovely people, but you can't force this sort of thing on someone. So, I put them out of my mind. Then one day, a little boy showed up. His name was Bo. He was a four-year-old with big brown eyes and curly hair. Due to the neglect he had suffered, he was small for his age, and he was covered in lacerations where he had been beaten. I was told by my assistant that his mother didn't even notice he was missing when they picked him up. She never even made any inquiries about him. Good fortune all around, I say. 
she is released from her burden, and we get sweet little Bo. I waited a few months to contact the Midoris. In time, the boy's bruises healed. His disposition had become much sunnier, and he was finally putting some weight on his gaunt frame. They took a few days to reply to my email, but they seemed eager to set up an appointment. As I welcomed them into my office, they looked nervous but excited, a look I had grown to love to see in my clients. I know this is quite a journey for you both. Thank you for coming back. I really think I've found your perfect match. Would you like to get to know little Bo first? For some of my clients, that's their favorite part. They love to see what they're getting into. I gestured to the door. No, no. We've made our decision. We would like to start the process immediately, exclaimed Mr. Midori. Mrs. Midori smiled, all toothy and nervous, and nodded in agreement. Well then, let's get on with it, shall we? The whole thing can be quite overwhelming for first-timers, but I assure you, I'll be with you the whole way to answer any questions. Now, let's head down to processing. I gathered up all of Bo's files and led them out the door. We arrived in the guest side of the processing room. When I first became head of the Proctor's Children's Home, this room felt like a stuffy interrogation room. It was awful, with cheap plastic folding chairs and a single rickety table. One of my first orders was that it be made cozy and given the feeling of sitting in one's own living room. There were comfortable chairs and a roaring fireplace, perfect for this chilly little island. The Midoris took the love seat and I took the overstuffed chair. My secretary entered the room. Would you like anything to drink? Tea? Coffee? The Midoris both declined. I'll take a cup of tea, thank you, Mrs. Nunez. She nodded and silently left the room while the Midoris and I turned our attention to the two-way mirror in front of us. I reached up and switched off the lights, and there in front of us was Bo. Here's your boy, I said proudly, knowing I had the satisfaction of making another client very happy. Bo stood facing the window. He was drowsy, due to the valerian root tea dosed with melatonin that had been given to him. He was covered in dotted lines, drawn on with a charcoal pencil, no chemicals from a permanent marker as was an express concern for Mrs. Midori. Purely for show, as her butcher, Henry, was so good he didn't need any guidelines. He's perfect, the first words uttered by Mrs. Midori the whole visit. Then, let's get on with it. I pushed the button to flash the red light, letting Henry know it was time to begin processing the child. I tossed all of Bo's files into the fireplace and sat back and sipped the tea that Mrs. Nunez had brought. Here, at Proctor's Children's Home, we are the best. I know, dear future client, that you've probably found us on the dark web, where you can also see examples of the appalling conditions other establishments keep their children in, living in cramped cages, being fed with tubes like pate geese, not here. We let the children run and play. They eat well, and they're always farmed from families who will never go looking for them. We're also located offshore in a place that will never be found. I hope to hear from you soon. 
Mr. X, Director of Communications, Proctor's Children's Home. This next piece was written in 1930 by the author Robert Irvin Howard. I'm not usually a big fan of poems, but this one is right up there with the spine-chilling work of Edgar Allan Poe. Please enjoy Dead Man's Hate. They hanged John Farrell in the dawn amid the marketplace. At dusk came Adam Brand to him and spat upon his face. Ho, neighbors all, spake Adam Brand, see ye John Farrell's fate. Tis proven here a hempen noose is stronger than man's hate. For heard ye not John Farrell's vow to be avenged upon me? Come life or death, see how he hangs high on the gallows tree. Yet never a word the people spoke in fear and wild surprise. For the grisly corpse raised its head and stared with sightless eyes, and with strange motions, slow and stiff, pointed at Adam Brand, and clambered down the gibbet tree, the noose within its hand. With gaping mouth stood Adam Brand, like a statue carved of stone, till the dead man laid a clammy hand hard on his shoulder bone. Then Adam shrieked like a soul in hell, the red blood left his face and he reeled away in a drunken run through the screaming marketplace. And close behind, the dead man came with a face like a mummy's mask, and the dead joints cracked and the stiff legs creaked with their own unwanted task. Men fled before the flying twain, or shrank with bated breath, and they saw on the face of Adam Brand the seal set there by death. He reeled on buckling legs that failed, yet on and on he fled. So through the shuddering marketplace, the dying fled the dead. At the riverside fell Adam Brand with a scream that rent the skies. Across him fell John Farrell's corpse, nor even the twain did rise. There was no wound on Adam Brand, but his brow was cold and damp. For the fear of death had blown out his life as a witch blows out a lamp. His lips were writhed in a horrid grin like a fiend's on Satan's coals. And the men that looked on his face that day, his stare still haunts their souls. Such was the fate of Adam Brand, a strange, unearthly fate, for stronger than death or hempen noose are the fires of a dead man's hate. That's all for tonight, folks. Sorry for the shorter episode. Remember, you can submit your stories to me at scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at scareyoutosleep and give our Facebook page a like. Music and sound effects are in the show notes. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. <laughs>